Jesus, thank you for your nearness and your presence this morning, God. Um, everything that we have is from you, God. Every good gift that we have is from you. Everything we have is yours. And everything you have is ours. So Jesus, we ask you, receive our offering and receive our sacrifice of praise this morning. May it be pleasant to your ears, Lord. May it be pleasant to your heart. Incense that rises up. We bless your name. Amen. Some of you guys I saw were um, trying to take picture or get a hold of those words. We'll be going through those words a lot. So don't worry. We're going to, as a house, we want to make sure that we take time to really equip what God tells us to do. You know, tithing and giving as a lifestyle is like baptism. It's like just something the Lord Jesus told us to do, regardless if you go to the awakening or anywhere else. You know, it's just something God asks us to do in the gospel. So Travis is going to share this morning. Um, you guys will know this, but Travis is totally uh, pushing through and battling a cold. And so I just wanted to pray for you real quick, man, just the Lord. So if anybody around him wants to just lay a hand real quick. Lord Jesus, thank you for our friend, our brother, and our leader. We bless him, Lord. We pray this morning you anoint his lips to bring forth your word uh, in boldness, uh, with truth, exactly what you have um, for us, God, for this house, um, and what, what you've shown him, God. We just bless his body. In Jesus' name, and command healing to any area of his body that's out of function, his, his lungs, his respiratory, his sinuses, any part of his body that aches, we say, be gone in the name of Jesus. We plead the blood of Jesus over our brother's body. Amen. So I had a quick word for someone. Um, Sam, I met you when you first got here this morning. Um, hi, Sam. Um, and... So um, I kept thinking about you through church, and I, have you ever seen the movie Rudy? Okay, so I, um, I kind of saw you as like a football player, um, and you're a big guy, so I'm like, yeah, that's pretty natural, but the Lord just kept like kind of bringing it around, and I felt like you were breaking tackles, and like you're kind of in a season of your life where you are, like you have your eye on the prize, and you're having to be like dove's eyes and not get distracted by all the people coming to tackle you. And that there's a lot of, there's a lot of people, I mean, not people, but a lot of stuff coming to tackle you. And so, but I kind of saw you like Rudy, where you kind of, in your own natural mind, are thinking that you're going to make a touchdown, but you're actually just going to run straight through the touchdown and, like, on into life, you know? <laughs> like, you remember how you just kept running? And that's, like, the freedom. So, yes, you're, like, working towards a goal and to defeat something, and you're not only going to defeat it, but you're going to go all the way into freedom. And so I just want to encourage you that the Lord sees you. He sees you running. He sees you pushing off those things that are trying to attack you. But just like in Rudy, he wasn't alone. Like, it, it wasn't like Rudy could defeat it. He couldn't make the touchdown by himself. Like, he had to have his whole team fighting off those things with him. And so you have a team, and the Lord wants you to know that it's okay to use them. Like, he's with you. You have warrior angels that the Lord has sent out on your behalf. And when you cross into that end zone you're going to feel like you accomplished a goal, but that really is like the beginning of a new freedom for you. Amen. All right. Well, uh, 
this is your first time here. We're, we're currently, whenever I preach at least, doing a series through the Song of Songs. And it's uh, part of the way that we, that we go about studying Song of Songs is it's, just, it's a discovery of how much really Jesus loves you. And I, I have a, I'm always more outreach focused and I'm like, Lord, I felt like God said this year we're going to, and through the awakening community, we're going to see a lot more people saved or more people saved than we ever have before this year. And then he said, I want you to preach off Song of Songs. And I just felt like, well, this is like the least evangelistic book in the Bible. And he said, you can't get the, the cart before the horse. You got to know how much I love you in order to know how much I love somebody else. And so when you, you can only love yourself, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So if you don't have a really high opinion of, of yourself in the sense of, it's not, I'm not talking about arrogance, I'm talking about identity. Knowing that you are the beloved. If you don't have that, then it's, it's hard to love on other people. Okay, because the, the, the lens that you judge yourself with is the lens you judge others with. If you're real critical of yourself, you're going to be real critical of others. You can't, it's, if you find the trash in yourself, you're going to find the trash in others. But if you find the gold in yourself, you're going to find the gold in others. Now, I'm going to talk about identity a little bit more, but we're going to get started. This, the passage I want us to look at and concentrate on the, uh, this morning is chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. It says, draw me after you and let us run together. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will rejoice in you and be glad. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. I am dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. So what, is, you know, what does all that mean? Part of Song of Songs is it's using all this imagery that we're, we have no connection with. It's the imagery of that day, Middle East, uh, you know, 6,000 years ago or whatever, and uh, less than that. I can't remember how... When, when Solomon was, but we'll say 3,000 years. So it's a long time ago, and it's imagery. We, we're not in an agricultural society. We're not really connected with that. So we're going to decipher some of that stuff. So draw me after you that we may run together. We pray. This is one of the, uh, the great prayers that you could pray to the Lord. If you want to have intimacy with him, draw me after you that we may run together. Because you can't pursue the Lord without his ability. So what I mean by that is it takes God to love God. It takes God to love God. Now, without getting into theology and predestination, all that kind of stuff, because I believe it's all, I'm like, yeah, that's true, predestination. You make a choice, yeah, that's true too. I don't get caught up in the debate because it's not either or, it's both and more. And so, but think about this. It says that we all fall short of the glory of God and that there is no one righteous, no, not one. So Jesus draws you to himself and gives you the, the grace to actually even choose him. You didn't make a righteous decision to choose Jesus because you're not righteous. He actually pulled you in, whispered in your ear, choose me. And you thought it was a, you went, choose me, or I choose you. That was a great idea. 
guess what? It doesn't stop there. God's always pulling you in, whispering in your ear what he thinks is a good idea. And he gives you the grace to choose him. Now, you, then there's the part where we actually make a choice. Now, people, get, people for years have gotten stuck on that, well, where did I make a choice? Where did, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're, you know Jesus, right? All right, let's, there's people that need to know Jesus. Let's move on from that. So here we go. So the, the pursuing power of the Lord Jesus Christ generates the pursuing power in us. The, the phrase to run after implies a continuous desire. And when you run, you got to put one foot in front of the other continuously. It's not just a one-time event. It's not, man, that was awesome. You, you're running. It's a continuous pattern. So you're putting one foot in front of the other. And that's the way our relationship with the Lord is. I'm still discovering new things about Jessica. After 15 years of marriage, she's still discovering new things about me. And it's gonna, it's, that's going to actually continue until we pass away. And, and that's the beauty of marriage. That's the beauty of knowing the Lord. That's the beauty of eternity is being able to gaze for all of eternity. You're going to gaze upon the Father, upon Jesus, and you're going to be like, did you see what he did yesterday? What is in store for today? And you're on day 8 billion, 900 million. And you're still every day just like, whoa, that was awesome. I didn't know he had that in him. Yeah, but that's, that's what it's going to be like. And so while we were yet sinners, Holy Spirit drew, drew us to Jesus. So likewise, after we, we become believers, we still need that help from the Holy Spirit. So this is, one of, this is a great scripture about how to walk with Jesus. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, it says, Therefore, as you have received the Christ, Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So how did you receive Jesus Christ? You can, somebody yell at me. By faith. Were you very, were you, anybody that, when you remember when you received Jesus for the first time and you, you, you asked him to come and, into your heart and that you would be his disciple or you would be his, his follower, do you remember feeling really, really strong? You're like, yeah, I'm going to make a, a choice for Jesus. Does anybody, did it, was that anybody's experience? <laughs> and so like, you're going, so you may have, like, know you're making the right decision, but you, it's coming out of a place of weakness because when you see Jesus, you see how weak you are. And so part of continuing to walk with Jesus is, man, I, I need you today just like I did 15 years ago. I need you today just like I did summer of 2000. That was when I first surrendered. I need you. I need you. I need you. And so it's that dependence. As you receive Jesus and that weakness and by faith, that's how you continue to walk in him. Weakness is not to be confused with like a lack of confidence, right? You continue, you continue to grow in your confidence in the Lord, but it's your confidence in him. It's not confidence in, in you. You're like, I used to think because I had a really great quiet time, I was going to have a great day. Has anybody been there? I'll be honest, all right? Man, I was like, I read for like an hour prayed for an hour, you know, got, got some visions during that time. It was a really good quiet time. I mean, I'm bound to have an amazing day because I had a great quiet time. It was me. And I remember one time 
after I had one of these two-hour quiet times, I thought was, that was a prerequisite. It had to be two hours or else it was a subpar quiet time. And anyways, that's a whole other performance orientation sermon. So you go, I remember I, I put my Bible up and the Lord said, Travis, I just want you to know the quiet time doesn't stop here. Because I was about to go play basketball and go to do other things. And he was, that was his way of using my language, using my paradigm of just saying, don't put me in a box. Like, don't section me off. Like, I'm with you all the time. You can talk to me all the time. And I, one of our mentors, I remember asking her, was like, well, what if I don't get half time to have a quiet time? And she's like, just talk to him in the car. I was like, uh, okay. It's that easy? I mean, that's really, that's what you do? And for me, that was actually life-changing. And y'all may be like, man, Travis, you had some issues. But anyways, that's, I did. I did. So it is, it is I who is drawn. He says, draw me to you that we may run together. But it is us collectively as a body that run after him. So Jesus draws you individually, but we run together. So why do we have to run together? Why is it just me and Jesus? Because he, he's not going to have, you're only one small piece of the body of Christ. You're one small part of the bride. And so when we, uh, when we are led into the inner, inner chambers, it's, it's we who will be glad and rejoice. And so what I mean by that, if Stuart is growing in his intimacy with Jesus, it's only going to bless me. It's only going to bless the awakening because he's bringing encouragement, life, joy, peace, hope with him. All right? So as, he, as his personal one-on-one relationship with Jesus grows, we all get blessed. Now we get 100 people doing that. In Leviticus, it says 10 will take down 100 and 100 will take down 10,000. So you get 100 people passionate about Jesus. Nowhere they go is safe from a blessing. That's what we're, that's what we're talking about. Draw me to you, draw me to you, that we may run together because we want to take a city, right? And we got brothers and sisters in other churches that we want to take a city. And so we're one, we're one flank in the army, and we have, a, we have a, a, an assignment. And that's part of what we'll talk about in 101 if you're, if you're coming to that class is the Awakenings Assignment. So whenever the individual believer receives grace from the Lord, then other believers are blessed by that grace. Draw me after you that we may run together is a prayer to live out the greatest two commandments. Then we go on to the king has brought me into his chambers. So Jesus invites us into unhindered intimacy with him. Now, the king's chambers, this was the king's room. This was his private room very few people have access to. This is where the king is, gets in his underwear, so to speak. He's, he doesn't have the robes on. He doesn't have the crown on. He doesn't, he's just chilling. Jesus is inviting us into this chamber. And it's a place, and so this imagery in Song of Songs is of a bridegroom and a bride. It, it gives the picture of what married love needs to look like. And so when we come into the chambers, it's a place of union. And it alludes to like even sexual union. 
And so it's a place of nakedness, intimacy, vulnerability. Okay? That's the place of intimacy is, is can, you be, can you be weak? Can you be vulnerable with the Lord? Can you open up your heart to him truly? Also means being virgin of heart. Now, one of the things that God's so good at is making things new. I want to, being virgin of heart is like when, when I, before uh, Jessica and I were married, I'd had uh, sexual relationships with my girlfriends and pornography for 17 years from the age of 7 to 23, whatever that's, 15, I guess, and so uh, 16. And, uh, but when I walked down the aisle with Jessica, I felt like a virgin. I felt like a virgin. Like, I can't, I don't know how to explain it other than I felt clean. Because when I met Jessica, I, I just surrendered to the Lord. We were able to, uh, you know, not have any kind of sexual interactions while we were dating. We held hands. And then we, we kissed, and then when the kissing got too heavy, we were like, we need back off kissing. Now, some of you need to do that. You need back off the kissing. Because you can't handle it. It's not that, there's nothing in the Bible that says you can't kiss, but you, if you can't handle it, you need to back off. You don't want to open a door that leads to like other things. All right? So, I don't know a lot of people that can handle deep kissing. I'm just saying that. That's just my opinion. But I'm just throwing that out there. So the king, that was that was totally free rabbit trail. And, uh, <laughs> but we want to be virgin of heart. We want to have that pure heart because in Matthew chapter 5 it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We want to see God. When you see Jesus for who he truly is, this is what you do. Have mercy. You are the best. You are, you are God. When you see him for who he truly is, when you see him as just a teacher or just a great man in history, you're like, that's cool. But when you see Jesus as the son of God for who he truly is, have mercy. And he loves to have mercy. So we recognize Jesus as king before we can enter into a relationship with him as the bridegroom. So you got to know him as king before you can know him as your husband. Why? Because you have to have complete dedication to his rule and authority that always precedes a life of intimacy. If Jessica, our marriage is not going to work, if I'm like, hey, I think we, uh, the kids should go to bed at, at 7 o'clock tonight, she's like, no, we're gonna, I'm going to tell them 9. And then if I'm like, she's like, but I love you, baby, I love you. Right? They're going to bed at 9. I was like, well, they're... They've been up for like 24 hours straight. They need to go to bed at 7. No, 9. I'm, you know, I'm just like, okay. You know, we're, she's, this isn't like a great thing going on here. We've got to come to an agreement. We've got to, we've got to uh, decide what is best. But if it's always this back and forth, it's like, no, I have a better idea, Jesus. No, I've got a better idea. How about I tweak your idea? How about I, how about I, Modify your idea. I'll do this. I won't do that, but I'll do this. But then it's kind of close, so it counts, right? So it, it doesn't work like that. You just got to do what Jesus tells you to do, real simple.
I'm dark but lovely. So the first reaction of the bride as she was brought into the, the chambers is she realizes the darkness of her heart. <clears throat> because Jesus is light, right? He's the light. Have you ever held up a, a pane glass in the, in the sunshine? After you've cleaned it. I, I used to clean windows. And I would clean it. That thing looked, man, crystal clear. And then you hold it up in the sunlight. You're like, what in the world did all these spots come from? And so when you, as you get closer to Jesus, guess what's going to happen? Don't be discouraged by this. You're actually going to see more of your darkness, but you're going to see more of him. That's why Paul said, I'm chief of sinners in his later years. He started off in his ministry. He's like, Paul, an apostle called by Jesus Christ. <laughs> Towards the end of his life, he went, Paul, chief of sinners. He's like, I've gotten close. It's, I see the spots. You know, he's, have mercy, Jesus. He's so, so that's a good sign. I've been in this season where I'm just like, God, do I do anything right? I've had seasons where I'm just, I'm, I'm walking around like John Wayne. It's like, who, who, needs, who needs the gospel? <laughs> who needs the gospel? And then I've been in this season the past few months where I'm just like, I have Jesus, what, am I taking steps back? What's going on? He says, no, you're getting closer. He says, you're actually getting closer. You're getting into the light more. And what that does, if you, but it, this is the important part. If you keep beating yourself down, when you start seeing the darkness or the faults or whatever, your weakness, then you can just go on a verbal tirade on yourself. I'm never, well, this and I never, never, ever, ever, hickey. And so you just, you're like saying all kinds of stuff to yourself. But if you're like Jesus, you're greater than me. <laughs> you chose me. I'm your son. Like, I don't do anything apart from you anyway. So like, Jesus, why am I even having this conversation with myself? So the light, the, the exposure, the things of like, man, I'm weaker than I thought I was, is, is a good place. That's because Jesus is getting closer. He's getting closer. <laughs> it's, not if, and I'm, it's not that he ever leaves you, but what I'm saying is he's, he's revealing more of himself to you. So we're born with a deceitful, wicked heart corrupted by the sin nature. Even though we're new creatures in Christ, we're continuously putting off the old man, renewing our mind and putting on the new man, which is in the likeness of Christ. So you have this, that's the thing that we've been talking about is you got the old man, you're putting off the old man, putting on the new man. How do you put off the old man? That sounds great. I mean, you just go, I'm putting off the old man today. And how does that happen? You know, so you just, what, are, what do I do? So you, you got to renew your mind. So part of it is you just got to know the truth about who you are. You got to know what God says about you. And you got to believe that. And part of renewing your mind is hearing, hearing the truth. So that's why we do declarations. That's why we do a declaration over our finances. Because faith comes by hearing. Sometimes it's more, you, you need to just believe God for one minute rather than praying and worry for 30 minutes. And so that's what, that's what the declarations do. It, it increases your faith. If you can just believe God, that's all you need. 
Jesus didn't say, am I going to come back to the earth and find people praying? He said, I'm going to come back to the earth and find people who believe. Now, prayer leads, it's one of the things that leads to faith, but Jesus is looking for faith. All right, so I'm not, don't, I'm not saying don't invest in your prayer time. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is that, that has to lead to belief, all right? I went into that. The more light you have, the more blemishes you see. And that results in Christ being more exalted in your life, life because of the revelation of your need for him whenever, you, whenever he starts pouring that light in over your heart. So your identity is a two-sided coin. So sometimes in, uh, in the church, do you have any water or whatever? Thank you. Sometimes in the church, there, we've, we've gone to the extremes of these, these two coins. You have one extreme of the coin, which is, or I'll say the two, the two faces of the coin is your darkness, your total depravity apart from God, and then the other side of the coin of your identity is who you are in Christ beloved, sought after, the righteousness of God, okay? But, this, but you still have the two sides. And so, but some camps of the church, they've gone way over here. It's like, we are rich. We are worms. We don't deserve one thing. And it results in like this poverty, like, Jesus, come take us away, which I don't mind. I was, Jesus shows up. It's going to be a good day. But then you have the other side. It's like we're new creatures. We don't even sin anymore. Man, I don't even need to ask for forgiveness. I'm a new creature. I'm totally in Christ. Don't need to repent. Don't need to ask for forgiveness. That's wrong too. This is where it's called the radical middle. How many of y'all heard me preach on the radical middle before? So your identity is the radical middle. And this in the both of these things can be done in your flesh. That's why it's, the radical middle is where the Holy Spirit hangs out, because you have to depend on him. That's where the tension is. So you can do this in the flesh. Woe is me. I'm a worm. I'm a worm. And you can do this in the flesh. Man, I'm a new, I don't need, I'm, I can do anything. Yeah, let's go, let's go do this. Let's go do that. Let's, let's uh, whatever. You know, list off the sins, and I'm, I'm already forgiven. Don't even have to. And right here is the Holy Spirit was Listen, always remember without me, your righteousness is like filthy rags. And remember in me, you are the righteousness of God. Holy Spirit keeps you there. Your flesh can't keep you there. Holy Spirit likes it when you have, when you're dependent upon him. And sometimes he'll back you into a corner where he's your only choice. Sometimes he won't. Sometimes he will. Depends on where you're at in your journey. So you must realize that without Jesus Christ, your righteousness is without is this filthy rags, and you're the righteousness of God. You were born with an orphan spirit, but God has impregnated you with the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So you're born into this world in sin with an orphan spirit. What is the orphan spirit? Okay? Orphan spirit is a fatherless motherless spirit, okay? It means you, you submit to no one, you, or you're full of envy, you're, you're full of jealousy, 
You don't have any identity. You don't know where you come from. You don't know who you are. And that results in this thing. I, the, I, always, I don't know why I have this example, but I always think of this big platter of biscuits in the middle of a kitchen table. And when you got that orphan spirit, you're just doing this. And you're like shoving it. You're putting in the tail of your shirt. And you're just like trying to run away with biscuits. Because you think that's the only biscuits that there are in the world. Meanwhile, Holy Spirit's making more biscuits. And you get, and you get people that stay at the table and just let Holy Spirit feed them. They get a never-ending supply of biscuits whenever they want a biscuit. But guess what? That orphan that ran off with the pile of biscuits... What's going to happen when they run out? That's going to last them a week. So it's that I've got to have, I've got to take, I've got to fight for my inheritance. I've got to, I've got to make sure my inheritance comes. I've got to get what's mine. And the, the world is ruled by the Spirit. Where if i got to step on Stuart to get my inheritance, so be it. As opposed to the ways of the kingdom is like, I'm going to try to find some way to exalt Stuart in my company and watch God honor me. I've seen it happen in my life when you've done that, when you promote somebody else who's actually competing for the same spot. Because you know, you know who you are. You know that God, all blessing comes from God. All blessing comes from the Lord. He reigns on the righteous and the un- unrighteous. And so when we, get, when we have that attitude of I'm a son, I am always have a seat at the table. There's always hot biscuits in the oven. I'm never going to run out of biscuits. So I can just rest. Because it doesn't, it never ends. So God doesn't want us relating to him This is important. God does not want us relating to him on the presupposition that we motivate him to take an interest in us. This is what the bride is saying. She's like, I'm dark but lovely. She's realizing this. Here I am, darkness of my heart, imperfect, weaknesses, frailties, and yet he loves me passionately and perfectly. Who is this man? That's what she says. This is the, the next question. She's like, he is fair than 10,000 men. He is chief among men because nobody is like that. Nobody. And so we, if we think that we motivate God to love us, that's when, which again, I'm going to use myself as an example. I was like, I used to, I still fast, but when I used to fast, it was to get God to move. Has anybody else been there? All right. Now when I fast, it's to make more room inside of me for God because he's, he's like knocking on the door. He's like, hey, I want, some, I want to put some more of myself in you. Make some room. Because when you read that passage in Mark about Jesus talking about fasting, he says, you can't put old wine in new wineskins. You got to put new, new wine, or you can't, excuse me, you can't put new wine in old wineskins you got to put new wine in new wineskins. And then he goes into talking about fasting. So why is he talking about wineskins in reference to fasting? He's just saying when you, whenever you fast, it's like creating a new wineskin on the inside of you for him to give you new wine. Does that make sense? As opposed to 
Jesus, look, I'm fasting. Don't you hear me now? It's the opposite. He's like, he's knocking on the door, and you're like, maybe I need to fast. Fast. And then the moment we fast, he's pouring it in. He's the one knocking on the door, just like later in Song of Songs, it says he reaches through the door with his hands dripping with myrrh. He's reaching through the door for us. He pursues us. Some people say, Jesus, I love you, but please forgive me. Do not reject me. I swear I'll never do this sin again. In other words, they continually negotiate their relationship with God while they worship him. I used to be in deliberations and negotiations with God. I remember one time when I was in college and I got really drunk and sick. And I remember making deals with God on my bed. If I, I said, if you, if you let me live, I'll stop doing this. I didn't say I would, I would follow him. Because I just was like, he's just mad at that I'm doing this. Now he's like, no, let's go deeper. How about you give me your heart? But I was on my bed, I was like, if, if I will live, because I thought I was going to die. I think I had alcohol poisoning, I, but I didn't go to the hospital. I said, if you let me live, I won't do this again. I won't get this drunk again. But you still can't have my heart. And he's like, it doesn't work that way. I don't just take away sin. I take away the heart, the, the stony heart. That's the root of the sin. So he doesn't, he's not about, like, picking bad fruit off. He's about chopping that tree down. I'm dark but lovely empowers us to run to God instead of from him when we stumble. God has given us a willing spirit in Jesus Christ. God actually looks at your willingness. He looks at your willingness. He looks at your, God, you know what, I'm going to try to prophesy for the first time. And you give a word, and they look at you like deer caught in headlights. And uh, you're like, did that resonate with you? He's like, I mean, no, nah, I mean, not really. But, you know, you just, they're like trying to soften the blow for you. And every, you're like, man, I just tried. God's just like applauding in heaven. He's like, yeah, baby, way to go. You took a step. You, you believed me to move through you. That's faith. God's not, he's not, fruit, fruit doesn't please him. Faith pleases him. So he's, that's what he looks at. He's like, man, took a huge risk. Thank you, baby. God says baby, by the way. <laughs> like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. What does that mean? So the phrase, O daughters of Jerusalem, throughout the song, as you read this, and I encourage you to, to read this on your own as we go, throughout the, go through this throughout the, at least the beginning part of the year. Throughout the song, the bride teaches the daughters of Jerusalem the spiritual principles of growing in passion for God. So the daughters refers to those who are spiritually immature. And if you look at what they say, it's like, it's like they don't understand what's going on between the bride and the bridegroom, but the the bride is trying to, to teach them. The tents of Kedar, these were blackened tents that were made of the skin of wild goats. So this speaks of the darkness of her flesh. The curtains of Solomon, these were white curtains 
in the Holy of Holies in the temple. So these curtains were made of fine linen and point to the righteousness of Christ. And so in Revelation 19, it says that it's a picture of when, when Jesus is coming back to the earth in the second coming. It says that John said, I look and heaven was opened up and behold, there was a white horse and he who sat upon it is called faithful and true. He said, on his head were many crowns and he was dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the word of God. And it says, the armies of heaven were following him, dressed in white linen, fine and clean. The armies of heaven, the saints. The saints, the ones who have been made righteous, the ones who have been made clean by the blood of Jesus. And that's when he says he will, the, the, the line that you've probably heard many times where it says on his robe and on his thigh, this name is written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so this is, we are dressed in fine linen, white and clean in heaven through the blood of Jesus. And these are what the curtains of Solomon represent. And they speak of the inward work of grace in our life. Because these, these curtains were only seen by the priests. It's, Jesus is the high priest, and he sees, he sees that the righteousness of God in you. He doesn't ignore the things, every, the, the dark parts of your heart that need to come into alignment with him. But, he's, but the way he does that, he calls you by who you truly are. He calls you, hey, you're a saint. You're not a, you're not a sinner anymore. You don't, you're, just a, you're a saint that sometimes sin. But you're not a sinner that's sometimes a saint. All right? So there's three stages of victory. Our sincere intention to obey God. This is what I was talking about. God sees it, the willing spirit. Our sincere intentions must be distinguished from the mature attainment of obedience. All right? So there's, there's been times where I've, I've tweaked what God's told me to do. But he's just like, I see that you really want to obey and you're learning. So even in those moments, he's, he doesn't like despise you. He's just teaching us how to grow. It's like when, with our kids, I'll use teaching them how to ride a bike. When, they were, when they're riding a bike, I'm, I know the, the height of the seat that they need to ride that bike at to, to help them get balance. They're like, no, Dad, no, 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 no. I want to down low. I was like, well, your, your knees are going to be like in your, in your chin. But I, don't, I want it low. I want it low. And you're like, no, let me sit down. Dad. And they're like, okay, try it your way. <laughs> you know, and they stumble off, and they do it a few times, and they're, I was like, let's try it this way, okay? Now, I'm not hating my kids because they disobeyed me. It's like, you're going to learn on your own now. <laughs> Don't you see how foolish you were? But I was like, hey, let's, do you want it? Let's try it raised up now. How about that? Okay. And they, they have better success with it. The Lord's the same way. So our attentions are where our victory begins. Partial breakthrough, yet with a continued struggle. That's like the second phase. So we are victorious on a regular basis, but yet we still war with our flesh in a particular area of our life. Okay? This is where you, you know, some of us, have you, you've had an instant deliverance in an area of sin in your life, and then there's other areas where it's like you've got to battle this thing. You've got to, it's like that, uh, 
weasel game that you bop the weasel and it pops up over here and you're bopping the weasel and all that. And, and that's, that's part of the journey. But, but guys, he's, that's still, that's partial victory and you need to thank God for that. You need to thank God for the partial victory. You may not be like, well, you never think about that thing or anything like that, but you need to thank God. It's like, you know what, God, I'm, I'm fighting. Thank you for giving me the, the ability to fight, and thank you that I've had freedom for this amount of time or whatever. But you need to thank God for the partial breakthrough. And then you, the substantial breakthrough is when you have transformed desires. It's where you don't even want to, you don't even want to seek that thing out. That's what I'm talking about, where your transformed desires. I had transformed desires uh, sexually towards Jessica, even though I, there was attraction. My desire for Jesus and to stay pure was, was greater than any desire for sex. And that was a substantial breakthrough for me because I was a slave. Any, uh, Peter says, that which overtakes you, you're a slave to. So what overtakes you in your life? What is overtaking you right now in your life? Is is Jesus, or is it something else, or whatever? But you're going to be a slave to something. When you're a slave to Jesus, he's the good master that sets you free. He's the one that, in the Old Testament, bond servants, they would, be, they would serve a master for however many years, usually like seven years, and then they had an option. They could leave start a life on their own, or they could put a, an owl through their, their earlobe and pledge to serve their master for the rest of their life, freely choosing to serve their master. And that's what Paul said. He said, I'm a bondservant to Christ. He said, he's so good, I want to serve him. He's the master that actually gives you freedom. It's the paradox of the kingdom. To be, to be free, you have to be a slave. In the world, we're trying to be free, and we end up being slaves. But when you find Jesus and you're a slave to him, then you'll be free. All right, y'all stand up. As Travis was talking about victory, I was thinking about how the other day we were watching some home videos when Zuri learned to walk. So Travis is like the catcher. So when, how many of you ever watched anybody learn to walk? There's a lot of falling that happens, <laughs> not a lot of walking. And so Travis has like got his legs out, so if she falls, he can kind of catch her, and he's got his arms out, and she's walking. And I'm videoing, so... In that video, what I realized is, like, her biggest fan was Lydia. And, you know, I'm always reminded that the Lord tells us to be like children. He tells us. He doesn't tell us to be like adults. Nowhere. <laughs> He's like, be like children. Come to me like children. And in that video, there was no point that anyone focused on Zuri's fall. All of us were focused on her walking, on every step she made. And she fell a lot. 
and she crawled some, and then she'd get up, and, you know, we'd get her set back up, and Lydia was just cheering her on, and it was so fun, because she was kind of behind me, like, looking through the video camera, and then she'd get out there in front. It was just really fun to watch Lydia cheering on Zuri, and so I just want to say to you guys, as you go through the stages of victory, and you get to part two, don't look at your fall nearly as much as you look at your steps. Because when we get stuck looking at the fall, we just stay there. It like pulls us in. And so I want you to know that no one else is looking at your fall. Like your brothers and sisters are looking at the steps you made, not at the fall. Because there are going to be times where we, we fall. And one of my favorite mentors, he says, just get up. Just get up. Like, if you don't stay there looking at it and figuring out why and how and get up, repent, move, get out of it. And so I just, I love this because we are dark yet lovely. And sometimes we just get really focused on the dark and we get scared of walking further into the light. But this morning, I just want us to be, I want us to be like Lydia and really cheering people on their steps. But when we're Zuri and we're just learning to walk, I want us to be able to hear the Lydia's in our life saying, you did it, you did it, you made a step. I mean, yes, she made a step on her face, but like she made a step, you know, because that's what we see. We see your success. We don't see your failure. And that the Lord is so cheering you on and he's the one that's you know got his legs out he's like trying to like catch you you know and sometimes they're gonna fall and it's gonna hurt really bad that's okay get up so that's my prayer for us this morning is that we will be a people that get up and that notice the steps more than the falls and so our ministry team's gonna come and if you want prayer if you want to meet Jesus if you need healing we want to pray for you, so um, you can come up during this song. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we receive more of your love, as we get, as we understand who you are and see you for who you really are, that we will keep moving, that we will get up when we fall, that we will run together one foot in front of the other. Just thank you, Lord. May we encourage our brother and sisters. May we give courage away as we go from this place. Thank you, God.